Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Wednesday, the 18th of September, 2013. And today we're reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, Into Action, and we are on page 80. And we are going to start with the very last paragraph at the bottom of the page that starts, The Chances Are That We. And today's readers are 12 Steps, Eileen, 12 Traditions, Katie F., and then Sally, Sharon, Fran, and Michelle. And the share code for yesterday, Tuesday, the 17th of September, is 5147. 5147. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence, and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Eileen G. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. I'm Eileen, a compulsive overeater from Massachusetts, and these are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Eileen. I will now ask Katie F. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, O-Readers Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, O-Readers Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Katie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your comments to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your comments to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We are on, we're in the chapter, Into Action. We are on page 80, the last paragraph that begins, The Chances Are That We Have Domestic Troubles. And I will ask Sally to please start reading. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. This is Sally, recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt it. In this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, 
A wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with, quote, the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone to hell for him. So this is a very important paragraph because now we're we're beginning to look at the sex inventory of our ninth step and um, what speaks to my heart the most here in this paragraph is this line, after a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. I think to myself of my part in my own um, relationship with my, with my ex-husband, and I had a very strong part to play in, uh, in a marriage that failed. And uh, I think the most important part that I played is that I was continually looking to have my ego stroked. I was continually looking for attention from my husband to to let me know that I was beautiful, that I was worthy, that I was the greatest thing that hit the planet. And, um, And he could not possibly have met my need, my ego needs. And, um, even though I would never have cheated on him, I was in my heart, in my mind, always unhappy, always looking for someone to meet this this need for my egos to be stroked. And um I just look on this with a sadness. It's um it's just a very sad thing because uh especially because I was married to a man who was very loyal and um when I look at this line, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him, I I just look at this line and I think, yeah, I was married to a man who was very loyal and um, although he has gone off the deep end, it's really, I can't help but look at the situation and think how much I play a part in this. Um it's just, it's a really, this is a very tough one to look at. I think that the the reason why the sex inventory is on here, why are they asking us to do this? Why are they asking us to, to look at something so personal and share something so personal? And it, it's very clear to me that it's because herein lies our deepest relationships. They're asking us to look at our relationships, to look at our troubled relationships. And they are usually... Um, related in some way, shape, or form to our sex conduct. And so here we are at the third step, the third part, I should say, in this ninth step, looking at our sex conduct. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. This is Paula. May I share? You sure may, Paula. Go ahead. I'm just going to take a couple of lines here. That seems like it'll be more than enough for me. We doubt if, in this respect, 
alcoholics are fundamentally more worse than other people. Oh, this is good. I'm liking that. But then the next line, mad butt. So eliminate what I just said. Drinking does complicate. What a simple word. Complicate. Simply said. But we lived it. Complicated everything. Simple things in our life, but wait. The deepest things. Your sex relations, your relations, that's the most intimate place you are. And even there it complicated because we couldn't see it as it was, but as we wanted to be. And always, as the lines go on, and I'm not going to go far, after a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out. Honey, we got a whole chapter on the family afterwards and to the wives. Let me tell you, they're on the firing line. They're on the firing line. They're trying to understand what we can't even understand, those who live with us. The husband begins, and there it is. Always comes back to being selfish, doesn't it? I won't look at me, but let me look at you to feel lonely and sorry for himself. Self-imposed crisis for what he did himself. He started the ball rolling here. But this is to take a look at. Unless we take a look at the very depths of our heart and soul, we can't change, but we take a look at it with God now. Not by ourselves. By ourselves, oh, we look away. No, now we look toward, because we don't want to stay. From the complicated comes the simple, finally. This is the way it is and was. And now an opportunity is given, with God's help, to correct to the best to the best we can do but with God's help ooh that best rises thank you for allowing me to share with that I do pass thank you Paula would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph hi this is Sheila Sherry Kay in Georgia I heard Sheila and Sherry Sheila go ahead and then Sherry good morning this is Sheila H um, this particular paragraph I, I can see both sides of it um after experiencing what it's like to live with an active person over years, you do get worn out. That is the honest truth. Um, in like 35 years, uh, and uh, it, it has not been easy. Um, but the work that I'm doing now for the first time, I'm seeing his side. Like when I'm into my, when I call my obsessive thinking, I could see where he could be lonely and isolated and cut off. Go into the zone like no um, When I get like that, I can get like that about work. I can get like that about personal um, entrepreneurial businesses that I do. I can do that with community work, with church. Um, it's almost like a way of isolating apart and having them feel like they're not enough, which triggers things for them too. Um, so for the first time, I can actually see. Um, my husband's side of this, because I can only see what he's done to me and to get the loyal girl who's been held. I can raise two hands for that. Um, but for the first time, I'm seeing his side, too, that uh, he also, I can also go into a zone and he can feel very lonely. And, uh, sometimes it's just a matter of just sitting down and spending time and saying, how was your day? Instead of always doing us that fast forward for it. But so this was a uh, an eye-opener for me, and I could definitely identify with the readings. And for the first time, I can actually see my husband's side also. Thanks for letting me share that up. 
Thank you, Sheila. Sherry, go ahead. Sherry, star one to unmute. Hey, Sherry Kay in Georgia. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, you know, this, this paragraph was me. Um, and even though I was not alcoholic, uh, you know, the, the compulsive overeating, which was my addiction, caused, uh, uh, you know, I mean, when I look at this, I think it doesn't matter what the addiction is. It complicates life. It becomes you know, the most important thing, the need to, uh, you know, to feed that addiction. Um, and so I, I need to, you know, say that, yes, I have done that, and that is me that they're talking about on the alcoholic side, but it's compulsive overeating, that has, uh, you know, acted just like this, looking for the attention and expecting a human being to, Give me everything that I need, um, attention, love, and um, uh, what is it, looking in all the wrong places? <laughs> and so since coming into um, uh, a 12-step program, uh, I have realized that there is no one out there that can do that. There's no one. We're asking for somebody to be perfect and and that's just not possible. So what a relief it was for me to to realize, to learn and know that my higher power is the only source that can fill my needs. You know, He is perfect, and and that's where that's where I go, and it has calmed my insides along with. Um, being abstinent, that I don't have to search anymore. There, there's a calmness in me, and I'm not saying that I, you know, that I have little bits of, sometimes more than bits of insanity in the, in the brain chatter, but, um, but there's, you know, life is just so much better, and the more that, hey Brent, the more that I make a conscious contact with my higher power and just say, help me. Or, 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 you know, calm my fears, you know, because they still pop up. But life is just so much better than 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 before, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, anyway, that's all I have, okay? Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Sherry. And this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here for a minute. So here we are in um, the chapter into action, and we are reading about the ninth step. You know, the ninth step, making our amends making amends, um, direct amends to such people wherever possible. And so here in this chapter, they're saying, you know, people, we got domestic problems too because of our addiction. And that drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. And I don't know about you, but the first couple of times I read this, I thought, I'm a compulsive overeating. What, what are they talking about? This doesn't relate to me. But, you know, by this time when you get to step nine, you know, hopefully it's uh, bless them, change me, and my thinking has changed, and God is helping me see me. I have to turn everything around and look at me, my part, my actions, my attitudes, you know. It's not them. I can't change them, but I can change me. And here, you know, 
It's like, well, yeah, Monica, when you were binging and in the food and a B-I-T-C-H, your poor husband didn't know when he walked in that door at night what he was going to be facing. Can any of you relate to that? You know, when I was in the food, I didn't want people to see me. I didn't want to go to parties with my husband. I was too fat. I didn't have anything to wear. Do you not think this didn't affect our relationship? It did. Because I'm a compulsive overeater. And I thought only of myself. So now I'm thinking about this. You know, what have I done with this, with my husband, our relationship? Yes. Yes. I may have made him feel a little lonely and sorry for himself because I certainly wasn't giving him any attention. And, you know, this is making me look at this stuff. And I need to make amends for my behavior to him. And this is part of step nine here. We're making our amends. And with that, I'm going to pass. And would anybody else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Michelle. Michelle. Go ahead, Michelle. Hi, this is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And I just want to piggyback on to that, what you said, Monica. I was looking at those last two uh, lines in that pair. Well, last, I guess they were just, they're not the last two, but the two lines that, that jumped out to me is, is, um, is the step nine. But what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful. And so for me, when I was doing step nine and looking at my relationships and in my intimate relationship with my spouse, I would I was looking back, kind of doing a little um, rationalization because you know here this guy's talking about the girl who understands, and so I you know I was looking for attention too for someone who would understand me. Not that I was wanting to look and understand my spouse, but I, it was all about me. It was that selfishness and self-centeredness, and we said that we were going to go to any length to clear up the past. Got my list from step four. And my spouse was on it. So I'm asking myself, I'm not, you know, I'm feeling uncomfortable here, but I know in step nine I need to move forward. So I ask, and, you know, what what am I going to do about a thing like that? And um, and then it says, you know, a person, a man, so involved often feels very remorseful. And, what you know, remorseful and feeling remorse um, is what's going to bring me back to the food. Remorse is, um, you know, an uncomfortable feeling. Um, I'm reading from a definition now, um, from, you know, a sense of guilt and regret for wrongs done. And so it those, it's the harm done, the wrongs done, that causes me to feel remorse. And in step nine, uh, I'm clearing up the wreckage of my past. And with God's help, you know, that transformation occurs, and I'm relieved of that guilt because if not, I'm going to go back and pick up the food. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Sharon, could you read, please? Thank you, Monica. Good morning to all. This is Sharon, R.S. from Minnesota. Very grateful to be on the line this morning. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that what that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. 
we feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall never, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we have often found this best, this the best course to take. Well, I thank God that this, at least this is one thing that I did not do. I wasn't unfaithful to my husband uh, in terms of an outside relationship. I, and although one might argue that my relationship with food may have uh, uh, constituted an unfaithfulness because uh, I would get involved with my food to the extent that I could not really form a, a healthy relationship with any person. But the first sentence, whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. And in looking at this paragraph, now, though I, in my marriage, I wasn't faithful with an outside person, when I was in doing my fourth step, I had to look at my previous relationships and break those down. And I had to ask whether I, uh, whether it was appropriate for me to go to have a conversation with particularly two people who I felt that I had harmed in how I was selfish and self-seeking and and just did not handle the relationships uh, in a in a in appropriate manner and I did I was counseled uh, through by my sponsor to write out the amends and I had to I wrote it out what I would say and I put it in an envelope and and I was prepared to either send it or or go and have a conversation but in talking to fellows it was felt that I had to ask the question what would my husband you know is this something that I could either talk to my husband about or would he approve and 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 in both cases because of of just what we were having to deal with in our relationship at the time it was felt that it was not an appropriate time for me to be going and and even talking about these old relationships and so just looking in that situation of of being sensitive to my husband and and focusing on what I needed to do to make amends and to be right in our relationship, it was determined that I needed to be prepared if God were to bring these individuals into my life to make those amends. But at that time, I was just to write the letter, write the amends out, put it in an envelope and just set it aside until um, I dealt with my current relationship with my husband 
And there was a lot of work that I needed to do and a lot of amends, a lot of of cleanup that I needed to do so that there would be that ability for me to even openly talk about uh, what I would be, uh, anything uh, outside. So um, that's the way I dealt with that. And, and what what I, the other thing that comes to mind is one of the stories in the back of the book where uh, uh, it's um, acceptance was the answer. And I learned a lot about relationships from from reading that story about how I need to, how I look at my partner in my relationship today, how I look at him affects uh, how his response to me. So it's me, it's changing me, it's working on me. And as I work on me, he looks different to me as as I've been working on on my recovery on changing the way um, you know on on getting rid of my character defects. I have begun to see my husband in a whole new light. I've begun to see how I have affected him, and some of the things quite frankly, I can't change today. I've done harm to him that has changed the, the the structuring of our relationship. I can't do anything about it. I just have to accept that. And I have to lovingly recognize that I have done things that have changed him such that I can't blame him for some of the way that he responds to me. And so I have to step back and let God be the one to step in and make our relationship right. I can't get in there and ding around and try to make it right. I have to practice acceptance and lovingly allow the healing to take place in our relationship. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? And I'm just going to back up and use this as a general teaching with this line, because we have to understand that amends is not confession. There is a difference between confession and making our amends. So we need to know, we need to look at are we just going to throw up on somebody so that we can feel better and we're going to leave them in turmoil? That's not the purpose of an amend. So if someone does not know the harm, for example, with me because I was such a gossip and I was so passive aggressive and I did so many things behind people's backs, so to make me feel better, should I go to people and tell them all the awful things that I said and did to them? that they're unaware of. No. Because that's a way for me to unload my guilt and my shame and to push it on somebody else. So that's why it's so important. We have to understand what is the harm that is done 
And we are making amends for that harm. It's not about us confessing so we feel better. So just to give you a couple examples, my brother, who I hated for years because it's so stupid, but he was blonde hair and blue-eyed and thin and had girlfriends, and I got the brown hair and the brown eyes, and I had a weight problem, and I could never get a boyfriend. And I would be so nasty behind his back, and I would roll my eyes, and I would complain about him, and I never supported him, and I never gave him any support. So should I go to him and tell him all those awful things that I did behind his back? No. What I did is I went to him, and I told him I'm sorry that I wasn't the sister that I should have been, that I saw what a wonderful man he had grown up into how much I respected the way that he handled his marriage and being a father, and that I was proud to be his sister. And even if I wasn't his sister, I would want to be his friend. Because that is the immense, that's the things that I did not do to him that I should have done when we were growing up. You know, I had a sponsee that had this beautiful immense. She had a young son with, with learning challenges, and she was very upset with the way that she would chastise him and how frustrated she would get with him. But do you go to a young child and explain to them as an adult how those, all those things bothered you and you were nasty? And a child doesn't understand that. So her amends was for two weeks she had to find and look for what this child did right and compliment him and keep her mouth shut when he did something wrong. And the beauty was she saw this child blossom blossomed. In the two weeks that she did it, he blossomed so that she's now made that a practice to do all the time. And the last example I want to give is when I first told my story for the first time and I invited my parents and it was a huge meeting of like 80 people and I was so ego driven. Look how much weight I've lost and I'm going to tell you how I did it. But in a room of 80 people, my father and my mother, my mom's in L.A., so I don't think it affected her as much, but my father found out that his 18-year-old daughter, 20, you know, 15, 20 years ago, had attempted suicide. How callous was that for me to, in a room of 80 people to, let, to say that in front of my father because it made me feel like I was confessing my sins. And that devastated my father to find out that his little girl had tried to kill herself and he had no idea and he couldn't have helped her. So it says here, again, if we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? So we need to understand that making amends is not about confession. And this is why we utilize recovered people. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. It's Leah. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. This is Rochelle, and I can share. Leah and then Rochelle. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So, again, we're in step nine, and they're giving numerous examples uh, as to making amends and how to uh, conduct ourselves and how to navigate sometimes very difficult situations. Again, uh, you know, we're reminded that we need to practice good judgment because we're now leaving the house and we're interacting with other people. And although we want to be free 
you know, we can't go home and sleep better at night and have only put, you know, harmful feelings upon somebody else. So maybe we're feeling well, but somebody else is up all night wringing their hands with anxiety or jealousy or, uh, you know, are upset. So it does take good judgment. It takes a careful sense of timing. It takes courage and it takes prudence. It it does take all these things and therefore, uh, you know, the suggestion that we discuss these amends with those who have had these experiences, with, with recovered people, with sponsors. It says whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. Um, you know, this obviously deals with infidelity. Kim gave some examples of other things where it's not in the best interest of other people could actually do others harm when we go and spew our uh, history on someone just in order to feel freer ourselves. We have to give that thought because the truth can be used to injure as well as to heal. I know there were certain situations, particularly um, involving my family of origin relationships, that had to be um, very carefully tread, very carefully tread. You know, it it took some discussion as to how I was going to best handle these situations, um, realizing that I'm the one with the program of recovery today. I'm the one who has a fellowship, who discuss these matters. I'm the one who's taking responsibility, readiness. I have the readiness to accept consequences of my behavior, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, stomp on other people's peace of mind. The AA 12 and 12 also discusses this on page 86 in in the supplement uh, to the big book, the AA 12 and 12. It says there can only be one consideration which should qualify our desire for a complete disclosure of the damage we have done. That will arise in the occasional situation where to make a full revelation would seriously harm the one to whom we are making amends, or, quite as important, other people. We cannot, for example, unload a detailed account of extramarital adventuring upon the shoulders of our unsuspecting wife or husband. And even in those cases where such a matter must be discussed, let's try to avoid harming third parties whoever they may be. It does not lighten our burden when we recklessly make the crosses of others heavier. So strong words, but experience, this comes from experience. You know, the rule is I have to be hard on myself, always hard on myself, but always considerate of other people. And, of course, we're dealing with, uh, you know, infidelity infidelity and extramarital affairs, something that perhaps uh, the alcoholic, uh, community may deal with more than the compulsive overeaters, we tend to retreat uh, and we tend to cut off our sexual relations, um, not encourage them when we're in the depths of compulsive overeating. Nonetheless, there are other examples where full disclosure of certain situations would be harmful. Again, I can't go home and sleep better at night and they're up all night. All I've done is transfer the problem over to them. So uh, that's why uh, good judgment is very much uh, the rule here. And with that, I pass. Thank you.
Thank you, Leah. Rochelle, go ahead. Um, I, hi. I hope this works because it's, it's not infidelity. This is um, I am a sponsor, and, and I witnessed this with a sponsee. So um, they were having difficulty with their toddler. And um, I observed that the, the parent who was a sponsee wasn't, was having difficulty with being affectionate to the child. And I and she was not getting the kind of behavior from her toddler that she would have liked to see. And I suggested to her, why don't you work on your difficulty with affection? And obviously, he can't tell a baby, you know, I, I, I regret that I haven't been affectionate with you. I really apologize. I'm going to work on it. No, no, no. Instead, she was. She told me the steps that she had implemented to be affectionate to this toddler, and the results were absolutely amazing because she got child just flourished and blossomed, and the relationship did also. So um, thank you. I pass. Thank you, Rochelle. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Yes, my name is Susan. I'm a recovered alcohol compulsive overeater. Go ahead, Susan. Um, Most recently, um, I had a nine-step situation that um, the big book talks about. I had set the ball rolling and put myself in a position to be hurt. And what I'd done through um, still being a people pleaser, progress, yes, but still doing it, as um, at a at a place where I board my horse, I had I had you know I'm boarding it and I'm taking lessons, but I also volunteered like for every single thing that possibly could be volunteered for, and then became resentful, and thought it was about the other person, but in working with um, an outside person, I saw that. You know, I was doing repeated behavior. And so the amend that I made um, to this person was to withdraw from um, to the volunteer positions with with a month's notice. Um, But I didn't have to say to her, you know, I feel this way, I feel that. I didn't have to tell her I set the ball rolling. I didn't have to tell her any of that. I just had to act appropriately as if he was resigned from a position anywhere. And it's within me that um, I have to work on the character defects that caused um, that situation to, to, to happen. Um, and so she doesn't have to be harmed at all. Um, there are a lot of volunteers there, so I've not left her in dire straits. Um, and even if I had, um, I think my expectations of her um, would have tainted the relationship if it hasn't already. So um, for me, in current living ninth-step work, um, this—I mean, this didn't—I wasn't in the steps, and I wasn't sweating on my fourth step. It just—I I realized that that I put myself in a position to harm another person by um, loading up, you know, my side of the scorecard, and then expecting her to 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 be even. And um, she's running a business, and that's what she's about. And um, so I, you know, it's a, another another lesson. This is not my first time doing this. Well, maybe it won't be my last. I don't know. But it was a way of making an amend, and it was done, you know, gently. The resignation was done gently and, and with forethought. And um, her response was, well, great. Thank you so much for giving me a month's notice. And um, so now we're back on a ground. I have a choice now. Um, we're back on a ground where, um, you know, she's the owner um, I'm the I'm the boarder, and um, and I have a chance to um, 
heal myself more and probably her too, but not not with disclosing, you know, all of my, every single thought I've had about this or every piece of anger or every word I've said about it to, to myself and my husband. Um, so for me, that's another way that living amends, you know, um, continue on uh, through our lives and recovery. Um, and if we, if, as soon as I recognize them or they're shown to me through, and this actually happened by listening to the Friday meeting, um, I, I realized, you know, what was going on. Uh, when we thought we were talking about financial amends on Friday, but um, I still just, you know, you think about what was said and, and everyone share, and you know, hopefully you take I take it in, and I ask God what we have me do with that information for that day, and and this transpired, you know, on Monday. So um, I just want to thank the group uh, for the privilege of being here, and for and to God for for hearing. And um, and getting myself uh, right righted um, in in the relationship because it's an important one to me. Um, and um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. This is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here for a moment. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. And yes, we're in. You know, we're talking about step nine here, and step nine is making made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So we're looking at making amends. And there's different kinds of amends. And that's what, you know, we used to have, to, we have to do something about it. If somebody deserves a direct amends, then that is what we need to do. And and always, always review this with a, with a, a recovered sponsor um, what you're going to say, how you, what you're going to say, so that you do not harm the other person, you know? Uh, and like was said before, this is not confession. We're making amends. And then if we're not making direct amends, then, like has been brought out in many of the shares, we can do living amends. And living amends are being nicer, being loving, being tolerant, you know, keeping my mouth shut. And... Um, that we, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to change us and be better people. That's spiritual awakening, personality change, our thinking, our attitudes are changing. We're changing us with God doing this for us by doing the work. And I like the prayer here. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. And that's where our living amends come in. We don't keep repeating the same behavior we've been doing before. And with that, I will pass. And someone has their phone unmuted. Can you please mute? And let's go on to the next paragraph. And Fran, can you read, please? Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It is good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person whom she can vent jealousy. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. 
it may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk a face-to-face combat. And um, for me, this is, uh, this is really a good paragra- uh, two paragraphs because um, when we're sharing to do our amends, we don't want to get into the other person, you know, if if there was another person involved that we were having an affair with or whatever it was, even an emotional kind of flirting, um, that we get the significant other jealous about it. So we can share in a general way and change our behavior and that's the best way to go about it rather than bringing needlessly naming a person and then stirring up that jealousy because once that emotion gets triggered, it can really go to places where we, we don't want to go and our spouse shouldn't have to go. So um, it's just, uh, and as the next paragraph says, having the loving kindness and the understanding to not hurt your significant other any further. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Would anyone like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Sally. Oh, go ahead, Sally. Good morning. Good morning, Monica. It's still Sally, recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like you to share on these first two lines. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It is as good for the wife as for the husband. And in fact, it is good for all. Sally, we've lost you. Are you still there? Oh, I'm sorry, Monica. Thank you. Did you hear anything I just said? I heard you read the first two lines, and that was about it. Okay. Okay. So I'd like to speak on this, these first four words, our design for living. To begin with, um, the book uses these four expressions. It says a way of living on page um, XIII, page 43, page 50, and page 84. It says a design for living on page 15, and page 28, and page 81. It says a manner of living on page 58, and it talks about principles by which he is living on page 98. And this is important because in at least once in each of the chapters in the first 164 pages, it talks about this way of living. And I looked at this, and the last few days I've been looking at this quite a bit, and I found on page 13, that wonderful Bill's story, the elements of a way of living and the elements for this design of living or way of living. The the elements are belief plus willingness plus honesty plus humility. And the word humility, I just want to remind you, means the absence of self-pride, self-will, or self-assertion. And it goes on to say here on the bottom of page 13 when it talks about this. Let me just read this. 
when these things, my friend promised when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. That is a very powerful sentence that speaks in every chapter of this first 164 pages where it includes the sentence, a way of living or design for living, a plan a manner of living or principles by which he is living. And so this is something that is strewn throughout these pages. And when it says it here, our design for living is not a one-way street. It is as good for the wife as for the husband. And I believe that we'll see that it is good for the family. It's good for our nation. These are very important principles that are being that they're being translated to us in this 164 pages and even throughout the stories. Thank you for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Paula. May I comment? I heard Paula and someone else. Helena. Helena. Okay, Paula and then Helena. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Arita. I'd like to zero in and scoot down to this line. On 82, each might pray about it. Transformation here. Having the other ones, whoa, happiness uppermost in mind. This here is when we see, when was the other one's happiness uppermost in mind? It might have even been in my mind, but uppermost? Oh, no. Now we see the change. But I want to go on to the next line. Keep it always in sight. You know why? Because you kind of, it all of a sudden, it's not as clear. Wait, get back here. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with that most terrible human emotion. Now look at the emotions that we've been talking about. Fear and resentment and anger. Wow. But look at the way it describes this one. The most terrible? The most terrible human emotion? Jealousy? Because it goes everywhere. It doesn't just go to one person, one thing, one place. It'll go to all of them. you got a better house. You've got a better husband. Oh, your children are better. Let me tell you what jealousy means if you haven't lived through it. Uneasy through fear of, awe of account, of preference given to another. How come God treats them that way? How come God gives them those gifts? Where are mine? suspicious, in love, apprehensive of rivalry. How come they got that job? I was so much better. Anxiously fearful. Ooh, anxiously fearful. What a combination. That is why we need a total transformation. This most terrible human emotion. And only God be clear, can do that. And he is willing, and he does. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Helena, go ahead, please. Good morning. This is Helena in South Jersey. Um, it is so clear here. Just uh, was what was just read, um, 
having the other one's happiness uppermost in in mind, is this not the total opposite of selfishness? Selfishness and self-centeredness, which have, of course, caused us not only to be compulsive overeaters, but also to hurt others around us. And this is the opposite of selfishness and self-centeredness. The big book is very wise. No real rules are laid down. They're giving us guidelines. Have the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. If we look at the forward to the first edition, it ex- uh, to the second edition, it explains that um, the acceptance of AA grew in leaps and bounds because of A, recoveries, and B, reunited homes. And the only way to have a reunited home is to stop being selfish and to have the other one's happiness uppermost in our minds. So really, as in everything else, there are really only a few very simple, straightforward guidelines here. And the first one is, of course, that the root of our trouble is selfishness and self-centeredness and that there are some very difficult situations that we may have to deal with in step nine and we are to keep the other ones, not our own happiness, in mind. Pass. Thank you, Helena. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Michelle, can you please read a vision for you? Yes, this is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.